It's clear that there is, there's no way that such testimony of Jesus' resurrection could be legend because the testimony goes all the way back to the event itself. Welcome to the Ryan Holmes podcast, where our goal is to encourage Christian thinking and Christian living. This is episode number 12. I really hope that you enjoyed last week's episode where we had the opportunity to speak with Connor Gall about the subject of singleness. And I hope that for any single people out there that it was an encouragement. But also, if you are married and you're listening, I hope that you were able to take some some good insights from that podcast as well, because I don't think it necessarily just spoke to one group of people. I think it was helpful for um, for all of us. It was it was encouraging for me and challenging for me as well. And um, I appreciate Connor's friendship and his willingness to take part um, in the podcast. And so, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you're going to enjoy this week's episode as well. This week is a really important discussion. We will be taking a deep dive, uh, a deep dive look into the Bible. We will split this conversation into two parts um, just because we have a lot to talk about and a lot to bring you. So we will do part one this week, part two next week, of course. All right. So here are some questions for us Do we have reason to trust the Bible? Is the Bible a historically reliable document? Do we have an accurate copy of the Bible today? These are all types of questions that have been debated, discussed, studied for generations. I believe that the evidence for the reliability of the Bible is strong, and I hope to unpack that in this episode and obviously next week's episode as well. First of all, we need to understand what the Bible actually is. Many people have a faulty perception of what the Bible is, and there could be many reasons for that. Many people draw conclusions about the Bible without actually looking into it for themselves. Not saying that's everybody, but that is a lot of people, especially skeptical people um, of the Bible. We cannot view the Bible as a book. Okay, we cannot view it as just one book. The reason being is that it is a collection of individual writings. The Bible is a collection of 66 books. There are about 40 different authors, and it covers the writings cover a span of approximately a 1,500-year period. The categories we will be discussing today and next week relate to a discipline known as textual criticism. Textual criticism, in its kind of oversimplified version, is an understanding of how we got the documents that we have today. Listen to this explanation of textual criticism. Textual criticism is concerned with documents written by hand. It is both a science and an art. As a science, it is involved in the discovery and reading of manuscripts, cataloging their contents, and for literary works, collating the readings in them against other copies of the text. Another description of textual criticism says this, that is, it is the technique of restoring texts as nearly as possible to their original form. Texts in this 
connection are defined as writings other than formal documents, inscribed or printed on paper, parchment, papyrus, or similar materials. So textual criticism has nothing to do with criticizing some ancient writings. It's a method of understanding how we got the texts that we have today. It's not something that applies to the Bible alone either. Textual critics apply their methods to many different ancient writings. Their me- uh, sorry, these methods are used to uncover what the original writings would have said. The discipline of textual criticism is how we would have gotten our modern Bibles. Many people describe or or they think about the transmission of the Bible in a way that resembles the telephone game. I don't know if you remember this game in elementary school or grade school, um, but it's the game where everybody sits in a circle and one person starts the telephone chain with a phrase. They make up a phrase that um, that starts the chain. The phrase is passed along uh, the circle from one person to the next by whispering in each other's ears. By the time it gets to the last person, the phrase is, it's been so compromised that it hardly resembles the original intent of the one who first spoke the phrase. If this is indeed how the Bible was transmitted, of, of course it would be difficult to have confidence in what it says. It would be no surprise that people would be skeptical of its writings. But is this how the Bible was actually passed along? Most certainly not in any way. It wasn't like this. The Bible we have today was translated from what are called manuscripts. These manuscripts were written and then copy after copy after copy was made of these manuscripts. They were handwritten documents written on papyrus. This would have been what they had uh, they had to write on back in those days. So let's let's take the New Testament writings for example. Copies of the original manuscripts would have been constantly made and distributed to the churches of the known world at that time, to the point where there would have been hundreds or even thousands of these copies of these manuscripts. We actually have copies of these manuscripts even today. Copies that date back to the 1st and 2nd century. Again, looking at the New Testament, today there are more than 5,600 handwritten Greek manuscripts. There are also an additional 9,000 manuscripts written in language languages such as Syriac, Coptic, Latin, and Arabic. You'll notice that we will be giving you a more focused approach on the New Testament specifically in these next few episodes, and this isn't because the Old Testament is unimportant, because it is, but if we do have a reliable, um, accurate copy of the New Testament, and it's true, then you get the Old Testament lumped in, because this uh, the New Testament actually, and Jesus specifically, affirms the Old Testament. So you just, you get it thrown in. So this is how we got the Bibles that you and I enjoy today. There hasn't been this sort of telephone game going on for the past 2,000 and some odd years to the point where the words we have today are utterly unrecognizable from their originals. I'll be clear that we do not actually have the original documents. I want us to be clear about that up front, all right? This doesn't mean, however, that we cannot have confidence in what our Bibles say. 
it might actually be even a good thing that we don't have the originals since no one would be able to manipulate them in any way. But nonetheless, we can still have confident assurance in the Bible that we have today. So the first thing I want to do as we um, get into a lot of this information is, is kind of do a bit of a comparison game. So let's compare the, the amount of manuscripts of the New Testament um, that we have today with the amount of manuscripts from other ancient writers. Keep in mind, we are perfectly comfortable attributing these ancient writings to their proper person. So again, how many Greek New Testament manuscript, manuscripts do we have? Over 5,600. Um, there was a man named uh, Homer. Uh, he was an ancient Greek author and poet. All right. He's a well-known um, ancient Greek author and poet. I don't know how to say it any other way. So how many, how many manuscripts do we have of his writings today? About 640 manuscripts. Um, there is uh, an individual named uh, Demosthenes. Uh, he was an ancient Greek statesman and orator. And how many manuscripts of his writings? About 200. Somebody named Herodotus. He was a, an, an ancient Greek writer and historian. And how many manuscripts do we have of his? Around eight. Uh, Plato, you might recognize that name, uh, was an ancient Greek philosopher. And how many manuscripts do we have today? Around seven. Tacitus was a Roman historian. Again, how many manuscripts do we have today? About 20. And then there is um, Pliny. He was a Roman author. And uh, the amount of manuscripts that we have today are about seven. So let me remind you, scholars have no issue attributing these writings to these authors and believe the manuscripts to be accurate copies of their writings. Now, uh, I'd like to do a bit of a second comparison as well. I want us to take these same ancient writings and compare the time gap between what is believed to be the original writings uh, and the first surviving copies. Okay, so let's go back to this same list. The time gap... Um, Sorry, the time gap of the first surviving copies and the time gap of the originals for Homer, about 500 years. Okay, Demosthenes, about 1400 years. Herodotus, 1400 years. Plato, 1200 years. Tacitus, 1000 years. Pliny, 750 years. Okay, so the, the shortest time gap is 500 years in that grouping. Now, what is the time gap between the original writings of the New Testament documents and the earliest known surviving copy we have today? About 25 years. 25 years is a crazy small time gap in between what is believed to be the originals and the first known copies. And we must understand that it is unlikely that the known copies we do have are the first handwritten copies. There would most certainly have been copies written prior to these known copies that have since been either lost, decayed, or we just haven't found them yet. So if we wouldn't have doubt about the writings of these other ancient authors that we just noted, um, why, 
why then would we have such a high level of skepticism towards the New Testament writings? There is no reason why we should have confident assurance in these other ancient writings or these texts while dismissing the New Testament writings at the same time. If anything, we should have more doubt about the ancient writings in comparison to the New Testament. But let's add something additional to this. The oldest surviving manuscripts of a completed New Testament book date to about 200 AD. The oldest surviving manuscripts of a complete set of the entire New Testament dates to around 250 AD. So this is still a smaller time gap than the other ancient writings that we noted. Before we continue, I really appreciate you tuning in to this episode. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give it a five-star rating on iTunes um, or Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, or subscribe on whatever listening platform you might be using, and that will just help boost um, the, the podcast's reach and visibility. I don't know how all the algorithms work, but I know that that helps it. So if you wish to also financially support the podcast and the work that I'm doing, please visit ryanholmespodcast.locals.com. Not only will you be supporting the podcast, but with Locals, you're actually joining a community, a community of believers who have similar interests to you. And the way Locals works is, is it's actually like a social media platform. You can post things, you can share things, you can communicate with people within the community. So it's, um, it's actually kind of a neat tool. So you'll receive um, early access to each episode each week, along with other perks that are exclusive to the Locals community members. And you can subscribe to the community for just $5 a month. So we've tried to make it as reasonable as possible for you. And if you're on YouTube, please like the video, comment, subscribe, and don't forget to hit the notification bell. Thanks again, and I appreciate all of your support. Next, I'd like us to consider when the New Testament books must have been written. We've looked at the manuscript evidence based on the copies of the manuscripts we do have today, but when would the New Testament books have been written? This is something I'd like us to unpack um, as we go forward now. We're going to move from the latest possible dating uh, for the New Testament books, and then we'll kind of narrow it and dwindle it down to what the earliest New Testament books might be. All right, it'll be kind of in four sections. So number one, all New Testament books uh, most certainly would have been written by 100 A.D., we know this because three of the early church fathers, uh, between the time of 95 AD and 110 AD, quote, 25 out of the 27 books. These church fathers were Clement, Ignatius, and Polycarp. Jude and 2 John were the only ones not mentioned in these writings. Jude, being Jesus' half-brother, would certainly have written this short book by this time as he would um, not have been alive by 100 AD. 2 John would have been written because it comes before 3 John, and 3 John was one of the books quoted by the three early church fathers. So, most certainly, the entire New Testament would have already been written by about 100 AD. This means that um, the whole of all the New Testament books were written within, within 70 years of Jesus' death. 
because Jesus was crucified around 33 AD. All right, number two. Most of the New Testament books would probably have been written by 70 AD. So this point will require a little bit of um, thinking and um, kind of unpacking on our part. So you have, you have individuals who were tasked with writing all about the life of Jesus, about the aftermath of Jesus' death and alleged resurrection, about the life of the church that Jesus had established, and so on. Many of these individuals were so specific about the particular events that took place in that day. Jesus actually predicts something that was going to happen in the near future. And what he predicts was actually written down. In Mark chapter 13 and verse 2 and uh, verse 2 and verse 30, Jesus predicts that the temple would be destroyed within the generation of the ones writing these things. As a devout Jew, the temple was a pretty big deal. It played a role in the life of every Jewish person. Not just a it didn't just have a religious impact, but also a political impact and even an economic impact. Here's a question. If you and your fellow followers of Jesus were going to write accounts about his life after the temple and city were destroyed in 70 AD, don't you think that you would at least make some mention of this national and religious tragedy? Jesus even predicted this would happen. Wouldn't we find this event somewhere in their writings? Yet we can't find any information about the temple or city being destroyed. You might say, Ryan, isn't this just an argument from silence? Possibly, but the New Testament documents seem to imply the temple and city were still intact because they speak of activities that were common to the temple um, and city at that time, and even at the time of the writings. So we can have good, sorry, we have good reason to believe that at least most of the New Testament books were penned before 70 AD because there's no mention of the temple or city being destroyed. This would be 40 years after the death of Jesus. Number three, many of the New Testament books were written before 62 AD. So Luke chronicles the events of the early church in the book of Acts. Luke was known for his meticulous uh, detail in his writings. Maybe it had been due to the fact that he was a doctor. Who knows? I'm not, I'm not sure. But Luke was so detail-oriented that he included specific details that would suggest he was either an eyewitness or he had access to eyewitness testimony. For example, he recorded the names of local politicians, local slang, local weather patterns, local topog topography, and local business practices. He even recorded the correct depth of the water about a quarter mile off of Malta. Luke's use of pronouns even shift as he's writing. They go from they to we, which would suggest to us that he was an eyewitness of the events he recorded. So if Luke was so detail-oriented about his writings and the events that took place, would it make sense to omit the events surrounding Paul's ex execution if the book of Acts hadn't been completed before Paul's death? I mean, he was literally following Paul, following Paul around and writing about what happened. Do you think Paul's death would have been an important event to document? 
Luke even records the deaths of Stephen and James, the brother of John, who were martyred for their faith, and yet Paul's execution is left out. In fact, the book of Acts ends with Paul under house arrest and still alive. Also, the book ends with James, the brother of Jesus, also still alive. James was one of the primary leaders of the early church. We know from historical sources um, outside the Bible or extra-biblical sources that Paul was executed sometime during the reign of Nero around 68 AD. We also know from the writings of Josephus that James was killed in 62 AD. So it stands to reason that the book of Acts must have been completed before 62 AD if both Paul and James were still alive when the book comes to an end. So if the book of Acts was written in 62 AD, then Luke's gospel would have been completed before then because Luke reminds us in the beginning of Acts about his first book. How much earlier then would the gospel of Luke be? Most likely around 60 AD or even earlier. Because if you think about it, the book of Acts, the latest date would be 62 AD. And if this is the case, there must have been... um, time for Luke's gospel to have already been completed and in circulation. Paul even references Luke's gospel um, when he was writing between 62 and 65 AD and refers to it as scripture. If Luke was written in 60 AD, then Mark would have been written in the 50s because Luke says that he got his facts from eyewitness testimony. Listen to Luke chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. It says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Most scholars, they believe that Mark's gospel was one of these uh, eyewitness sources that Luke would have used to record his account in the gospel of Luke. This would mean that we have carefully recorded eyewitness testimony written within 20 to 25 to 30 years of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. These writings would be far too early to be legendary. This also means that the eyewitness sources would go back even earlier. So this brings us to number four. Some New Testament books were penned in the 40s and 50s. What we know about Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth is that it was written between 55 and 56 A.D., Obviously, this would make the Gospels much earlier. In his letter, he speaks on many different things related to the church. One of the things that he talked about was the the Lord's Supper. This shows that the church at Corinth was already observing the Lord's Supper within 25 years of Jesus' resurrection. Within this first letter, we also find one of the earliest and most authenticated testimonies of the resurrection. Paul speaks of this testimony that he had received from others in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 3 through 8. Listen to what it says. 
Paul's writing, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Where did Paul receive this? Most likely from Peter and James when he visited them in Jerusalem three years after his conversion. It refers to a creed um, that the early believer, the early Christians believed about Jesus. This creed dates right back to the resurrection, as scholars believe this was circulating as early as two to seven years after the resurrection. Some even would say earlier than two years. What gives more credence to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 is that he is essentially telling the Corinthian believers to check his facts. He cites Cephas, or another name for Peter, James, the twelve apostles, himself, and a group of 500 people as having been witnesses uh, of the resurrected Jesus. So the Corinthian believers could have just gone straight to the sources. So anyone could have easily gone directly to these sources to see if Paul was indeed telling them the truth or not. It's clear that there is, there's no way that such testimony of Jesus' resurrection could be legend because the testimony goes all the way back to the event itself. If the early Christians were attempting to create a false story about Jesus uh, this early on, the Jewish and Roman authorities could have easily dispelled any such momentum by simply parading Jesus' dead body around the city. But obviously they couldn't do this. But beyond 1 Corinthians, there are are a number of other New Testament books written in the, the 50s or earlier. Galatians is about 40 8 AD, 1 Thessalonians about 50 to 54 AD, uh, and Romans was about 57 to 58 AD. And it's safe to say that all of Paul's writings would have been written before about 60 AD when he died. The great archaeologist William F. Albright, after seeing how well the New Testament fit with the archaeological and historical data, wrote this, We can already say emphatically that there is no longer any solid basis for dating any book of the New Testament after about AD 80. That's 50 years or so after Jesus' death. He also said, In my opinion, every book of the New Testament was written by a baptized Jew between the 40s and the 80s of the first century, very probably sometime between AD 50 and 75. So, did you get all that? I hope you did. If you didn't, go back and listen. I know it was a lot of information. We've seen today that there is no reason why we should accept these other ancient writings while dismissing the biblical writings at the same time. This would certainly not be a fair and honest approach. We've also seen just how early the New Testament books would have been written. This goes against any argument that would suggest the Bible was written hundreds of years after the events it records. This also disproves the belief that the stories of Jesus are just based on legend. These um, these are true historical events that took place, and the writings that document these events were written 
20 to 30 years after the events that took place. So I really hope that part one of this discussion has been helpful for you. And please come back next week as we wrap up this discussion on answering the question of can we trust the Bible? Well, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you have any questions for me, a thought, a comment, even topics you might want me to discuss in a future episode, please send me an email to ryanholmespodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to visit ryanholmespodcast.locals.com to join our community. I appreciate any support. And if you're on the YouTube, like, comment, subscribe, hit the bell, and ultimately, please share this podcast and let's encourage others to think about their faith and live it out. See you next week.